Welcome to another episode of Film Festival Reviews. I'm Christina Kotler, and I look forward to March not only because it's my birthday month, but it's crazy as a March hair month and crazy weather month. So this show takes me back into the rabbit's hole I fell into 10 years ago with Fortley Film Commission, introducing me to Alice Guy Bluget. And since I designate March as Women in Film History Month, I had the opportunity to find out more about Women's Film Preservation Fund founded by Barbara Moss. And here she is now, let's get to it. Hey, we are ready. Hi, Barbara. I think, hey, how are you doing today? Pretty well, despite the snow. I can't believe that it's going on here in March, but... A lot of it. A lot of it there. <laughs> it's a day to watch movies. <laughs> we wish. Right, you know, and, and I was talking with the Fort Lee Film Commission people. That was Nelson Page, who's the chairman of Fort Lee Film Commission, and Tom Myers, who's the executive director of Fort Lee Film Commission, and I love working with them because they've included me in all of these events, especially supporting women in film and March, which is women, and I say, in film history month. Yeah, and how long have they been in existence now? They've been together since 2000, so it's 15, 16 years. And yeah, their energy is fabulous, really, really wonderful what, what they're committed to. And we did a couple of things together with New York Women in Film and Television and the Women's Film Preservation Fund. They have a lot of connections with MoMA, which I know that we do because I'm the liaison between NYWIFT and the Fort Lee Film Commission. I love working on the projects together on some of the things that we talk about. So tell me a little bit about, just in a nutshell, how you got started and where we are right now with the Women Film Preservation Fund? Well, it's, very, it's a wonderful story, actually, that relates to women supporting women in the way that we want to believe can continue, since that's very much on people's minds in, in print. That's what we keep reading today, the female gaze, women supporting women. I was in film school and became very aware of the lack of discussion about women directors and as a film student, I raised my hand and said to the professor, a respected gentleman, are we going to learn about more women directors than Maya Darren and Ida Lupino? It's wonderful that we learned about Maya Darren and Ida Lupino, but there's got to be more, right? And the truth is, it was not a rhetorical question I was seeking, and the answer was completely inappropriate and dismissive. And I was stunned because it was a private university, it was a film broadcasting program, and I knew that wasn't right, but I was a kid. Move the clock ahead, and I would say a few years after graduating from college, when I went to make my first film, a documentary, with my husband, I was in a lab holding a lavender, which in the 1950s, the negatives were called lavenders because they had kind of a lavender tint to them. You may know that. I remember holding this very important piece of film history in my hand because we were making a film about the making of Salt of the Earth, the only film made during the blacklist by blacklisted filmmakers. And I remember holding this film and going, oh my God, if I sneeze, history's destroyed, <laughs> literally. 
And from that, I started thinking about being a member of Women in Film and what are we really doing of value that is preserving our legacy. I know we had meetings about what do we do now, and that was in the 70s, right, in the 80s when we got started at New York Women in Film. And I really was thinking about our foremothers, if you would. Then I did a year and a half of research and found that nobody in the world, nobody that I could find, was saving films made by women. So then I went to the remarkable woman at the Museum of Modern Art, since you mentioned them, and the legacy of Iris Berry there fell into the hands of Mary Lee Bandy. Mary Lee was head of the film program. I went to her, told her my idea. Everybody said, you'll never get to see her. She looked at me and said, what a brilliant idea. Let's do it. We went to the board of New York Women in Film. I made a presentation holding rusty cans and deteriorating nitrite and nitrate film. And New York Women in Film came on board. And that was in 1994. Thus, we launched in 1995. And you could say the rest is history. It's been a struggle phenomenal number of women have worked on this committee for, what, over 20 years now. They've given their heart and their soul and their knowledge, and you know many of them. We could mention them by name. And we have raised money to now save more than 100 films in every genre, every format in the 20th century, and we move on now into what is high def, and that is a whole new world, digital preservation. That so is, I think that answers that question. Absolutely. That is the new frontier. But when did you first discover Alice Guy Blaget? Because I discovered her actually through Portly Film Commission, and I fell into the rabbit hole. And <laughs> That's a wonderful rabbit hole, and good for you, and good for all the work you've done for Alice Guy Blaget. That's a pretty direct link to the first efforts. When we started raising money and started the research Obviously, we were new at it. We were going to make a lot of mistakes along the way as we figured out what's the best way to find out about the films that do need preservation, and we had to come up with policies and procedures. We reached out to, obviously, the most leading institution, and that was the National Film Library down in Washington, D.C., and the gentleman there, uh, David Francis, I don't know if you know the name, he was head of the program then, and he suggested they were in the process of looking at Alice Guy Blachet and early women film pioneers. So what they did was put together, if you would, an anthology of some of these titles, of which Alice Guy Blachet, Miss Blachet, was one of the first, and that's when we started doing research that you well know, and her history of coming to this country with her husband. I mean, we do have to thank Monsieur Gaumont, and there was Miss Blachet, not just secretary, but making her business to learn the technology of film. And to this day, you have to sit back and say, my God, was she amazing that she said, oh, Monsieur Gaumont, I want to tell stories. And you know better than I the, if it is apocryphal, but we all love to believe it, that he said, that's fine, just don't let it get in the way of your secretarial duty. That's exactly um, what he did. <laughs> do you think that is a true story? I think and, so. And then she, as I understand it, made that first narrative, what's the fairy of the cabbage? The cabbage fairy, yes. Yeah, the cabbage fairy, and that was 1896. Six. Amazing. Now, at the same time in America, as you know, they sent she and her husband over here 
initially, I think, to the Midwest before she went to New York. And she wrote in her memoirs, as you know, a reflection on the freedom that she felt here, if you would. She felt a freedom here, which I thought was amazing. And in the standard view of the French woman at home and being cherished, maybe here she had a guts, but she had guts anyway. So to move into what she did is the beginning of what we know are so many, many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women who entered into this industry at a time where it was eligible to because it wasn't yet a moneymaker. So they were not locked out, as you know, that happened later, most likely, when the industry became really in the control of men. That happened around between 1913 and 1917. A lot of corporations started getting into it because, they, as you say, they found that it was a moneymaker and it was the audiences were just clamoring to go see films and demanding more and more films, longer films. And it was something that, you know, she, she did so many amazing things. And that... Yeah, can you tell me? I mean, I, I would love to know from you, she was working in sound oh, with yes. the uh, chronoscope oh, yes. or something from Gaumont? She was working in sound in 1905. She did a sound-synchronized film and colorized. And we saw samples of that with sound and colorized. Is it not her initiative with the interest in the camera? As I understood it, Leon Gaumont, he really didn't think the camera was going to become a commercial success. Right. Which I find very interesting. And partner that with coming to America. And here, isn't it interesting in this day and age, we are looking at an immigrant coming here and grabbing hold of this industry. And of course, when you read the story of Alice Guy Blachet, which I love, as we put all the pieces together, her intersection with so many dynamic women is phenomenal. And women of that time, who we think were just in other industries, partook, came into the film industry and working collectively with one another in remarkable ways, as you know. So wouldn't you like to imagine her at a dinner table conversation with a Jane Addams or a Helen Keller? I mean, it's, or Margaret Sanger, of course, with Lois Weber. You almost think this could have happened. When you look at the history of women in film in early cinema, and you start reading the individual stories of what drew them to tell the stories in film. And as you know, they came from social service organization, the suffragette movement. And I think it is remarkable that in 1917, Alice Guy Blaché, Lois Weber was out in Hollywood then, I believe, right? Yes. Margaret Sanger made this film called Birth Control. At the same time, you had Lois Weber making Where Are My Children? And the taboo subjects of eugenics and abortion and birth control. Amazing. So at the same time that we discovered Alice Guy Blaché's work, we were introduced to Where Are My Children? So at the same time, we did the Blaché and the first two with the Library of Congress, Lois Weber. Not only that, but Alice built her own studio. And she was the first woman who had the studio that she owned completely. It cost $100,000 in 1912 and hired so many people to be working in the industry. And 
Then what she did, when she had a movie called A Fool and His Money, and it had a black cast, she used African-American actors and not the black face. Well, I have to tell you that it was the Preservation Fund that actually was fortunate enough to be brought that film. In 2001, it was discovered in somebody's, literally in some, I don't know, chest or, or locker in somebody's basement, a fool and his money. So when we saw this and said, this is one we want to commit to, I had the privilege of showing the film to Pearl Bowser. I don't, do you know Pearl? Yes, I do know Pearl. So we showed A Fool and His Money to Pearl, and I recorded her watching the film and making her comment, because obviously she's a leading expert on Oscar Micheaux and early African-American filmmakers. So she watched the film, and as she watched that film, it was fascinating to record her say and told the story that you well know about Alice Gee had on her set the sign, Act Natural, And as Pearl said to us very clearly, she didn't mean act naturally black. She just meant act natural. Now, put that in the context that some people would look at the performances at A Fool of His Money and say they were a little bit too step and fetch it. Well, that's looking at it. You cannot look at films without looking in the context of the time. And that's what's so important. Because looking at the context of the time and the acting style, and you look at the other performers, it was a very beautiful, nuanced performance that Alice Guy Blaché got out of this first all-African-American cast. So it's a milestone, and it's a fun film to watch. It's amazing. What happens to the films after they are restored, and where can people access them? Where can they see them? That's a very important question. And in fact, that was probably one of the most important components of a process that, and policy that was decided that any filmmaker who comes to the Women's Film Preservation Fund and asks for grants, and by the way, as you know, it's a very rigorous process. And isn't it wonderful who else is doing it? Kino Larber, the Criterion Film Collection. It is very rigorous to decide what films shall funds be given to? Because certainly for the Women's Film Preservation Fund, we have so little money that we can give away every year, and it's frustrating. But once it is completed, it is required, and a contract is entered into, that film must be already placed in an institution where it can be seen or displayed for educational purposes and be there for access. So it's not that we can give an individual filmmaker money and it's just in their home. No, it has to be in one of the leading institutions, whether it's the Museum of Modern Art or the UCLA Archives or the Academy Archives. There are many, many institutions that work with us that are eligible to accept these films. So that is decided before a grant is given. I'm looking forward to seeing them somewhere. I always like to see them. Yeah, no, and I'm happy to say that the Preservation Fund, you know, Susan Lazarus, Kirsten Laverick, 
and Levy, you know, they work very hard to work with institutions today. We have had programs on the road. I have been there to watch audiences, for instance, in Santa Fe, see these films for the first time. And the Q&A that happens afterwards is just fascinating when you can go to these communities and bring this work into America, not just in New York City. But as you know, Anne Mora at the Museum of Modern Art they and Raj, they've been very committed working with the Preservation Fund, you know, to have the programs annually, as does the Lincoln Center Society, Film Society work with us. They do wonderful programs. The Whitney, as you know, did a retrospective. Personally, I believe that these 100 films, including Alice Guy Blushay, and we could go through all the other names that are fascinating, I think it should be the basis of a new curriculum on the history of women in film. I would love an institution to take this collection and turn it into a study, a course. Wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome. And I think the other thing that I found coming to some of the meetings, there are women that were that are in the in the committee that are going on and learning more about film preservation. That's a great story that you acknowledge that. Uh, Ina Archer was a wonderful filmmaker, videographer, artist who was on our committee for years, and she decided and pursued her degree now in preservation. And not enough women have been in this field, by the way, although more are coming into it. Which, when you ask what is now and then, and it is a remarkable kind of contiguous story, parallel, then and now, then and now, because you tell me, are you not reading in the trades every day about the female gaze? We must have more women directors. Every day we read about that, right? Absolutely. And then you talk to the women of power in Hollywood and they say, yes, we read about it, but in reality, we're still not accomplishing it enough. So I say, if any of us are in the position, lucky enough to be in that position, when you have a project and you know you really want to make it your priority to get women in those slots, you do. You fight for it. You say, no, I want a woman director. And that's what we have to do. I love when I talk to people about these things and I see more men that are coming on board with that idea that, yes, they'd like to have more women working with them and for them to work with the women. So I think it's going to be, I don't know, I, I think it's going to move along more. I think what we're doing right now is really getting it out there even more so than before because I don't know why. You know, you keep talking about it and you keep talking about it and nobody pays attention, but something happens, something triggers, maybe it's the time, maybe there is a turn at the corner. Well, you know, look what's happening in our American society today. We are in a divisive, very difficult moment, correct? Correct. And Gloria Steinem at the Women's March did in fact, say to everybody in the world to hear that she is re-energized by what she is seeing happening, by people getting involved and saying, we've got to change. Now, women, as filmmakers, we have been there from the beginning. Alice Guy Blaché, right? She's our godmother, right? She is. <laughs> when you look at her colleagues at that time and where they came from, as you know, there was many women who came out of writing criticism 
poetry, publishers, and eventually got into this. And there was a huge industry, as you know, in film criticism and movie land magazines. It was amazing when you look at them, screen land, photo play, movie screen. And there was a lot of women writing in that, and then some of them transitioned. What I do think is interesting about Fort Lee and Alice Guy Blachet is looking at the very beginnings on the East Coast, and we know that there was New York City production companies on 14th Street, out in Queens, as you know, and then eventually, I understand, Alice Guy went from New York to Fort Lee, correct? Correct. And some of the marvelous films that were shot in Fort Lee and how you can see the, the beauty and texture of of like, I love, I forget which film it is, where you, you're outside in somebody's home, you know, <laughs> there in Fort Lee, or on the, where is it, above the Palisades? Oh, on the cliffs. Just amazing, oh. amazing. Anyway, what I do want to say, what is in common is, today we're reading about whether it's Nicole Kidman or Reese Witherspoon or Julia Roberts, they're all starting their film production companies. And you got nothing new, right? Are they going to accomplish more? Because we have to say that the women in the teens and the 20s, what, what they accomplished, the output that they gave to American society was amazing. And you know that women were in the industry early on doing every job possible. And you know the hyphenates that existed, where whether it be screenwriter, director, producer, they were all kind of mixed up. But what I find fascinating, in Hollywood, a lot of the women came in into the steno pool. That's where they were. And they said, oh my gosh, we need product. And that was part of it. They needed so much product that they put the women in positions what is now called the development and reading scripts and reporting synopses. So that's... It's kind of great that they went from the steno pool into development. But I love Alice Guy Blachet for the fact that she was a pioneer in storytelling right away. I mean, she took control of her destiny. She wrote that first narrative. It was because her father was a, a bookseller. So she uh -huh. would read all the time. And that's where she was getting the ideas of creating these scenarios pretty much from the classics. And she did some really amazing things in France and then coming out here, of course. But I heard not too long ago they found another Alice Key film somewhere in a barn in New Hampshire. Is that true? I heard that, and I don't know. In fact, I was trying to find out about it before our discussion. could very well be because it is remarkable that sometimes films are discovered and that there's anything left of them is unbelievable. And maybe if it was like in the frozen tundra, you know, it kind of saves them. And that was a film that was showed at the Lincoln Center last year about these films, like thousands and thousands and thousands of film were discovered in a basement underneath the frozen tundra up in Alaska. I don't know if you heard about that. Yes, it was the permafrost. And I have a, a little story about that. That gave me the inspiration to save the tapes that my husband's music was underwater during Hurricane Irene. And I had all of these, all of these cassette tapes of his work from early days, 20, 30 years ago. And oh, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do with them, so I put them in the freezer. I heard about this permafrost, and I put it in the <laughs> freezer. Yeah. And then they said, 
I was looking up, you know, some information. They said, well, maybe 48 hours. And I kept them in the freezer for four years. And then, we and then what happened? Well, last year I was using my food dehydrator because I had a lot of fruit and I was just dehydrating it. And I thought, well, maybe this would work with a tape. And I did. Oh, my God. And it worked and it played. And we, we saved 100 tapes with the food dehydrator. Oh, my God, is that a great story. But it was because of this permafrost story, this idea that this was saved and it was frozen and they kept it and then you were able to play it. I said, well, if it works for that, maybe it'll work for this. Right. That film was called Dawson City, Frozen Time. How up That is that remarkable film, Dawson City, Frozen Time. All right. All right. So, so what's happening now with the Preservation Fund? What are you working on now? So... In the course of time from they'll stay it's from nineteen ninety six to to present day, the remarkable titles that we have saved, as I say, represent every genre of filmmaking. And I would say right now the committee works so hard with very little money to try to find the most worthy titles, and that is an objective thing. Is it a film that was, and we have to deal in very small numbers, you understand. And one of the things we learned early on, it doesn't do much good to put $1,200 towards a budget of 40000 because where is that filmmaker going to find the rest of the money? So we've started collaborating in partnership with the Academy and other institutions, and that is a very very sure way of getting films done because sadly there are stories where the process has begun and didn't get completed and we never want to keep a film from being done. So today the committee, as you know, raises money in order to save worthy films. Now what that means is we, like everybody else, whether it's the Fort Lee Film Commission or Pacific Film Archives or you name it, is it Kino Lorber? They're doing remarkable work. Raising money to save films is not an easy process. It is not a priority for a lot of people. And so what we are now are trying to do is get a revived sense of new people coming on board and volunteering with us and working to really raise funds so we can do greater numbers. So we really choose very few titles every year, but I do want to make it very clear. It is not the committee that decides what films get preserved. It is a separate body of experts who meet annually, review all of the synopsis of the films that are coming to us. And as I said, the process is very rigorous. And Susan Lazarus, as you know, who's one of our members, this really cannot be done without the present-day knowledge of people like Susan and Kirsten, who are filmmakers and understand what does it take to preserve a film. Because just like a process of making a film can be unsuccessful, you know, Christina, that all preservation projects are not equal. And you know that there are fewer and fewer film labs. So today, where are we at? We had to face the very real crisis of... Do we continue in the framework that Morty Scarsese were very committed to is you create on film and you finish on film. 
you create on film, you finish on film. And, you know, Scorsese has held on to that. But today we know that is just not realistic in terms of how are people going to be looking at these films, just like you asked. How are they going to look at them? Do you think there are any more 16-millimeter film clubs at universities? Not anymore. I don't think so. No. So where are we at is in the the, the uh, cycle of pain and growth to decide how do we move forward technically, financially, and with purpose to choose the most salient film titles that really preserve the legacy of women in film. And that, I have to say, is a fascinating conversation that I wish more people could hear because it is truly wonderful to hear the different women on the committee, as you know, with their knowledge, making their opinions, and they are opinions, as to why a film is worthy of preservation. And by the way, we haven't saved only the greatest films that are ever made. The fact that they existed, we were able to save some, just that they were made. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you look at Harlan County, everybody knows Barbara Coppola as a filmmaker. Harlan County, USA, that came to us. And it was clear the budget on that was far beyond what we could do. So what did we do? We partnered with the Academy. That got done. We are at a point of struggle, as every movement has. And with renewed interest, hopefully we will raise more funds to make more discoveries possible. And, you know, Alice Gee will always be... she. We have preserved a couple of her films, and I'm sure... That, at this point, you can tell me, in terms of her body of work, if one was discovered, like you said, are there others that you know that need preservation? Fort Lee Film Commission is committed the same way, and we have so many people, the same as we do at NYWIF, so dedicated, and they look for these films, and sometimes they find them in different areas of the world. Do you think that by our discussion and this podcast and... March being Women's History Month, it would give direction for some people to, to get involved. How could they get involved in this incredible process? And the work needs to be done. So what do you think people can do to, to help get your work done? Well, right now, actually, even though it sounds like a commercial, but you're asking, on Facebook, the Women's Film Preservation Fund, of course, has a page, and it is kept up to date, and there is a bid right there. We need people, and we're always looking for those men and women who can help us in our strategy of raising funds, because that is the toughest. But we do need volunteers. So the most important thing is donations and volunteers. So going to the Women's Film Preservation Fund on Facebook is certainly a very simple one for people to do. And a New York Women in Film and Television that I have not given enough acknowledgement to in this conversation, they are the ones that gave us our first $5,000 grant to support this. And it's a very time-intensive, people-intensive effort, as you know, from the Film Commission. And I would be at fault not to mention a gentleman by the name of Balaj Nayeri, who owns a, a company called Cineric. They came along, what, 15 years ago, and every year gave us $25,000 of in-kind contribution because their facility could work 
to preserve films, and that's changing. But gentlemen like that, people like that who aren't directly in New York Women in Film have made a huge difference to preserving the films. And I do have to say what is remarkable, Christina, is if, if you go to New York Women in Film, that's NYWIFT, N-Y-W-I-F-T dot org, there is a listing of recipients of the grants, and the titles and the filmmakers are an astounding, astounding history of filmmaking here in America. We do do American films. Of course, Alice Gee living here, we, that's why we did her, but we've done more than a few of her films. And the most recent one you may know, I know you've been speaking with the filmmakers who have done the documentary, Be Natural, is the one Tramp Strategy we did in 2014. That was preserved. That was a 1911 film. What I love is that we have saved films that, as I said, were avant-garde, very avant-garde. And speaking of Maya Darren, if you could see any of the films that we have preserved, amazing, wonderful, innovative, including Alice Guy Blachet, what were her innovations? in the films that we have preserved. And funny, and my favorite story that you would love as women is when I have the privilege of meeting men who are powerful in Hollywood, and I have had these conversations, I always love this question. And one time I was uh, in New Mexico on location, having dinner in a cafe, and who should sit down next to me was Ron Howard. And my husband and I were there, and we turned to him and said, oh, you know, how are you this evening? What are you shooting? It was very casual. And I said, I want to ask you a question. What's that, right? Do you know when a woman was the highest paid writer-director in Hollywood? Can you guess when that was? The highest paid in, in Hollywood. And, of course, they look at you like, well, I don't know, maybe was it Barbara Streisand, right? <laughs> I said, no, it was Lois Weber, 1916, and that has not been repeated yet. So, you know, and what I do love to tell all filmmakers is as filmmakers, it is their responsibility once they make a film, it is very important that they track it and know where it is and under what conditions it's being stored because you don't want to store it in your attic if you can help it. But of course, most filmmakers don't have the money to worry about preservation. So it's an education process for men and women as filmmakers that once they make a film, they don't always own the copyright, but know where it is if you can get access to it. And that's what's very important about the Preservation Fund, because filmmakers, they own their copyright. They have access to it. They don't give anything up by having the film preserved. Thank you so much for taking the time and talking to me about this. I think a lot of people don't understand that there is Women's Film Preservation Fund. I want to get the word out. So I think this would be a good way to do it. Our conversation, it could be more than once, and talk a little bit more about the different films or how you do it, and we can get into it in more detail. Yeah, that would be an interesting conversation because the process of preservation includes every aspect of filmmaking that you can imagine, and it is fascinating how, how the process is done. And as we said, sometimes it's well done, not always, but the process itself and who it involves is quite fascinating. So that's another conversation. And there are women doing that. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you so much for calling. Let's talk about women. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, and good luck to the 
Fort Lee Film Commission. If there's anything we can do, we will continue working with you and supporting the very exciting work you do. All right. All right, Barbara. We'll talk soon. Bye now. Okay. That was some excellent information about Women's Film Preservation Fund. To find out more, go to their Facebook page or New York Women in Film and Television, NYWIF.org. Find out more at what Fort Lee Film Commission is doing on FortLeeFilm.org. And check out some of the past episodes on Film Festival Reviews, filmfestivalreviews.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Go find yourself a rabbit hole to fall into and let me know how it turns out. Thanks for listening. This program was recorded at Wheat Sheaf Productions and produced by March Hare Media. Go to marchharemedia.com.